Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. I'm Patrick. I'm Nolan. I'm Zach. Fellas, we've been chatting about Tolas quite a bit. And it's been a long time. It's been a long time. And I'm thinking, you know, Nolan, you made the comment last week that the rest of the book is very much DM related. Can you elaborate on that? Well, I think the the whole book is a giant campaign. So uh, most of it is going to be information for your for your game that your players may not know in detail. They may touch on parts of it, um, but until they actually directly need to encounter a lot of it, uh, I, I think it does kind of turn into that. I don't know. I would say probably half of the book you may never run into just from a standpoint of your team may not take a left turn down that street. Whereas, you know, you could probably run this campaign two or three times in this world and see new sites, do new things, uh, and and not step on each other's toes. And I believe that when they originally ran this campaign, there was a couple of groups running this, um, and they were kind of weaved in and out of each other's existence and never really came across each other at all. Sometimes something weird would happen. There'd be an explosion like in the, you know, the the dock district or whatever. And it was the group that was playing, you know, two weeks ago that dealt with something and that wasn't happening anymore for the next group. So it is a, a giant city. I think it gives a lot of replay valuability. Um, and as we had talked about it too, you know, it's kind of one of those things of if you decided to do your own campaign or if I was going to do a water deep campaign, you know, this would be some stuff that I would pull from just from a standpoint of adding a little bit more life to some of the shops. Um, maybe some of the districts, uh, even some of the characters would transfer well. I mean, you could take most of this and turn it into a metropolis in any campaign world you have, and it would fit right in and, you know, uh, not miss a beat because, you know, every city has their own factions. And and for the most part, you know, we live in Wyoming where we have, uh, you know, a gold buckle club and a Wyoming rodeo, you know, you may not, you know, or Sheridan rodeo, you may not have that faction vying for power amongst, you know, your cities, you know, Oh, they're vying, they're vying. But so, I mean, it, it really is, you may think of like, well, my, you know, my teams are, well, you know, the dark hand might be in this town that you're in and they're running it and you could pull a portion of this. So I feel like there is, uh, a lot of things that you could pull. This is a great resource book. Um, and just the development of the town is, uh, at least good motivating. I know that when I look at building cities and telling the stories that I want to tell, um, this has kind of helped a lot too, of just like layout of references, layout of how cities look, give players an idea of you're in an old part of town. Here's kind of like the, uh, the architecture looks like and let the, you don't need the whole thing, but it's kind of buildings. But there's enough from that that they can really go whole area around a person and you don't have to draw everything. So, but let's go to a few things. I know talked about science um, and magic weapons and a lot of the weapons come from like, so there if you have somebody that wants to play a gunslinger or an artificer uh, and then uh, Oh, what was the other thing? Chaos tech is in there as it starts to get a little bit darker as people start messing with the weird combined forces. Um, and then, yeah, that I don't know. The rest of the book is just, I mean, there's a lot. We got through the first part of the book that kind of tells you, um, the players, what you need to know, some of the factions you'll run into, the religions and the hierarchy of power. And then the middle section of the book is just highly detailed shot by shop, street by street into 
things that you can buy in this world. There is more magical items. It was another thing that I thought was really great about the setting because I missed my 3.5. Everything on the ground might be magical, so you better look for it. Um, and the monsters are actually really, really wild as well that pertain to this world. So there is more to this book. It just uh, it, it really starts to cultivate into what your game allows. Zach? I think no one... No, no one said it best. There's no, there's not much more to say. I guess I know we've been talking it up. Uh, I'd give like a word of warning for players. If you didn't like third edition, like sensibilities, you won't like playing in Tolis. Cause it was built to, to and by third edition D and D. Um, like no one said, like everything on the ground might be magical. Um, and I, I think Tolis was a world that was built under the assumptions that everyone is a player character, which is okay, but 5th edition doesn't play like that normally. Like, a commoner is just a commoner. They're not a level 1 commoner. In Tolis, everyone might be, like, a level 1 fighter, a level 2 whatever. So I, I do think that there's... If you didn't like that, if you don't like 3.5... I think Tolis might have some vestigial like bits that you're not going to like, um, but also you can get over that. It's a great, it's a great book. It's a great whole thing. Uh, yeah, I I understand that it's quite the price point, but even if you're just getting the PDF for like twenty five bucks or whatever, yeah, I think it's uh or fifty, fifty. That's right. Yeah, I still think it's worth it as an investment. It's nice just to read through too. So. Yeah, I thought it was an enjoyable book. It's really nice to look at a city book like this, especially what I was hoping for from Waterdeep, uh, Dragon Heist, to look at Tolis and go, well, that's what I wanted. I wanted yeah. the detailed city. Like I remember playing in AD&D 2nd Edition. Um, we started in Greyhawk and then went to Faerun through Ravenloft. And I remember then when I learned about Waterdeep and I read, um, if I remember correctly, there's actually a novel about Waterdeep. And I wanted so badly to play in Waterdeep. But at the time, there wasn't any, at least my comic shop, that was the name of the store, the comic shop, did not yeah. carry any a book for Waterdeep. So whatever we did, we had to piece it together from different modules that we had purchased to try to play in Waterdeep. And I always thought playing a city campaign was going to be so cool. And that's why I was immediately drawn to Tolis and... I think I think it's amazing. I think the product is amazing. I think the price point is high, but I, I still think it's completely worth it. I will, I guess, uh, kind of the final wrap up I would say on this here is this was designed to test 3.5. So when Zach says like everything really is in this, it really is because it was designed to push the boundaries. What is possible? What can we get away with? What does this look like? Let's crank it up to 11. This is extreme and we have to cover everything. And so it, if you feel like it's huge, if you feel like it's massive, it was, on, it, it, it was on purpose. It had to be because it had to try to incorporate anything that the players could run into. And so uh, they created this prison world to let players do that and let the, the game designers do that to try and say, okay, well, we need this here. How are we going to do with low light? Well, let's go underground. Okay, well, we need something for high lever. Okay, let's go above ground. Okay, we need city interactions. We need shops. Perfect, let's head this way. And it just kind of spirals itself out into creating this one little playground for your players to go break stuff. 
Tolos is available at Monocook's website, uh, monocookgames.com, or you can go to uh, DriveThruRPG, which you will get the actual 3.5 version if you go to DriveThruRPG, so keep that in mind. Or at least the ones by Malhavoc Press. Let me just say mm-hmm. that. Uh, other than that, we highly recommend it. It's a great book. Even if you just get the PDF, like Zach said, yeah, you're going to spend $50, but it's a $50 investment that is going to be well worth it for your gaming table. You may never play in Tolis, but as I've said before, and I think you guys agree, this is the book that I think game designers should go to as a resource to say, how did they do this? Let's look at this and see what they did because they did it right. And I hope moving forward that that if we do get another city book from Wizards of the Coast, they talk to some of the writers from Tolis and say, all right, what did you guys do? Because we want to emulate that. All right, Zach. Well, since it's just you and I, we'll just kind of chatter until he gets back. Um, did you read the first three Dragonlance novels? Oh, yeah. All right, In the so wrong let's... order. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's talk about that. Obviously, we're going to be talking about the UA that came out this week, and that's going to be our topic this week. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to, but as we're waiting for Nolan to come back, I, I just kind of wanted to chat with Zach and see, because you and I have had this conversation before several years ago in my backyard um, yeah. where we talked about these books. So explain to me how you came across these books in the wrong order, what your initial thought uh-huh. was. So, yeah, the two... I'm going to bury the lead here, but the two greatest influences on the media that I consume was Baldur's Gate 1 that I tried to play when I was like seven, and it was too complicated for me. And the, and the second one is Dragonlance, because I only had books two and three. Okay. And that's the order that I read them in. And they were just in my, I think, my middle school library. I had just finished reading Aragon which don't go back to it's not good <laughs> and i was looking for more like I, it you, you better be careful there's some people who absolutely love those books and they may they may stone you my friend i know but they're all wrong uh <laughs> anyway uh all they had was books two and three and so when i started reading it it was so fascinating especially in comparison to all the fantasy novels that i had read before and I know that this isn't everyone's experience, but starting in the middle meant that there was all these relationships and histories and conflicts that I didn't know about. I just had to infer based upon what was callbacks to book one, what might have gone on, right? Why did Raistlin leave? Who is like, who even is like, Cameron or Cameron, I'm not sure how they're supposed to pronounce it. You know, like, why are these people doing this? Why are there dragon attacks? Why are the elves not nice yet are somehow unalloyed good? Like, I just had to kind of like figure it out. And so that was, yeah, that it's one of the best reading experiences I've ever had. And so I just I love the novels and I went back and read book one and and it's great, but um, it's just a part of uh, an experience of reading books is that every single person has a different experience. And so even if you're reading the identical book, you can still find something to discuss. Yeah. And and for me, like I look at I'm, I'm actually I pulled up the Wikipedia page on Dragonlance novels to see when these were published. And I'm kind of shaking my head because I remember being at Walden Books when 
I want to say Time of the Twins came out. I did not realize that came out in 1986. Yeah. So my introduction to Dragonlance and D&D in general, I was 11 years old. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize. I'm looking at this going, really? It came out then? I thought it was in the late 80s or early 90s. Um, so for me, um, I want to say it was my dad who brought home uh, Dragons of Autumn's Twilight which was the first in the, in the Chronicles series. Nolan, we're just kind of chatting about the novels before we jump into the U, UA. Um, and he read the book and I had read at this point, uh, my brother and I had watched the animated version of the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and were completely hooked, like mm -hmm. completely hooked in fantasy. And I had read at this point in 85 ish, I had read the sword of Shannara, which I was told that I should not be reading that in fifth grade because it was above me. Well, tell me that about a book and I'm probably going to read it. Yeah. And so my dad brought home Dragons of Autumn Twilight paperback and I just devoured the book. And then he would bring home the others. And my dad worked at a gym on Fort Wainwright in Alaska and he would find these books. People would leave them. And they'd sit in the lost and found and, <laughs> and he'd work the front desk and he'd wait yeah. for people to come in and he'd sign them in. Well, there was plenty of times where there'd be long spells before people would come in. So he'd just sit there and read books. So he brought me these books. He brought me Ender's Game. He brought me a ton of novels. Uh, Eye of the World was one of the ones that he brought home. And so he would bring these home after he had read them and said, here, you should read this one. So, yeah, that's how I've I was brought into these books and and for me and i love the fact that the ua goes into this uh i was completely drawn to tasselhoff he was my favorite character and oh no i, <laughs> I love tass he's great and when i i think my first time like literally crying in a book is when flint dies and if this is a spoiler, come on, give me a break. The book's it's been out for yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's over 20 years old at this right. point. Um, so when Flint died, like I was literally crying. I'm like, no, don't kill him. <laughs> and it just completely devastated me. Uh, and I know, like, if I remember correctly, these are actually written based on their game. It is. Yeah. yeah. So Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman had a D&D game, second edition that they had played. And I don't know if it was under the assumption that um, they were going to uh, novelize it or not, but everyone at the table yeah, played a character and it does show once you know that. I know some people find Tasselhoff Burfoot very, very annoying, but there's an interesting thing is that at least when they were still playing, there wasn't hobbits could only play they were called they were still called hobbits and the only class they could play was thief that's it like if you wanted to play a hobbit which they like call kender in the in in the dragonlance world you had one class it was thief that's what you had to be and so they had to they like reverse engineered that to being all Kender are thieves. Just by right. De definition. Right. And so you have weird little stuff like that that comes together to create like the flavor for this world. And you can tell that it's based on a D&D game, but it's great. So, yeah, I really like the books. Um, when I when my friend Harold got me into playing D&D, &D, I told him I wanted to play a Kender. 
Mm -hmm. There were no kenders in 18th edition, as you as you said, Zach. So he he did indeed take the halfling stats and he's like, okay, but you're going to have like the flaw kleptomaniac. Yeah. Like you just standing there and then you have to roll whatever it was to resist just absentmindedly stealing things. Yeah. Um, And it was fun. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, Nolan, did you read those three books? I did. Um, my uh, I had a, a friend that was very much into it and talked about it all the time. And so my first reading of it was uh, The Anointed Chronicles, which um, if you get a chance and you like those kind of things, uh, take a read at it. It's kind of like just coming off of Tolos. It has little sidebars from the authors talking about things of what happened in their mm. campaign and how they got there and what actually happened. And uh, as as far as things go, my favorite part of that is when uh, they are climbing down the well to first discover whatever artifact is there. Anyway, um, Tannis is the last one down the rope and critically fails his uh, athletics check and plummets and takes everybody out as he's falling down. And the staff shatters and detonates and kills them all. And they had to rewind the game. <sighs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so it, 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 it technically ended before it began in uh, their home game that they had to unwind and like, whoop, everybody died because that, uh, you just destroyed the staff of power, basically. So, yeah, that's um, awesome. But yeah, if you if you get a chance, yeah, it, it has little sidebars and you get their their talks about it and why they did things. And it was it was a fun read. So after that, I was kind of spoiled and hooked. I'm looking over some of the novels that came out in the eighties and I've read every single one of those. Uh, The one that I like liked the least was weasel's luck. I don't remember what it was about. I just remember I did not like that book. It was so boring and uh, yeah, I remember that one. It's about a, uh, a squire becoming a knight of Salomnia or something. Yeah. yeah, Something like that. And I just, Yeah. Here's, uh, yeah. Here's the thing. If you've only ever read these things and you've never had to say them out loud, you have no idea how things are supposed to be pronounced. Right. Exactly. OK, so let's jump into the UA because this was kind of a big deal that came out from Wizards of the Coast this week. Uh, they released the uh, Unearthed Arcana for Heroes of Kryn. Now, we have talked for months, uh, probably over a year now, that we suspected that one of the new settings that's coming out from Wizards of the Coast is going to be Kryn and therefore Dragonlands. This definitely seems to be pushing us in that direction. And so this came out this week. We got a uh, new race new subclass some new backgrounds and some feats and of course they're going to start with the kinder right and so i was reading through this and i am curious what so let's talk about the the kinder as a race what were what were your first thoughts when you guys read through this act we'll start with you since you were talking about how the kinder came about in the first place um I think uh, <clears throat> I don't know how to say this. Uh, it's it's just a, one. They're just a better halfling. Uh, they do have some weird things. So um, they are humanoid. They're small, but they have a walking speed of thirty feet. So they're a little bit faster than most small creatures. They have brave, which is disadvantage on saving throws to uh, avoid or end the frightened condition. Um, which is just another thing that uh, most halflings have. 
Uh, their big thing is Kendra Ace. We're starting I, at third level. They I can love just have ability. they just have the magical ability to just pull something out of a bag that they must have taken at some point or another. So you roll a d6, and you just pull something nuts out of your bag. You might pull a weapon. Um, you might pull a piece of adventuring gear, uh, or a crowbar, or a grappling hook, or a trinket. These aren't like magical items. You're not pulling a lot of stuff out. There's just a chance that you might pull what you need in the moment. Yeah, I, I love that. And, and, and I think it's so I like the idea of that being there be, without making them be like kleptomaniacs where they're stealing something. And you could risk possibly, you know, having your character killed because they stole from the prince or something. So I, I read that yeah, mandated. I, I actions, that was great. Mandated actions are never good. Right. You know, it's like, it hey, roll, yeah, roll a D hundred, you know, roll a D 100 and tell me if it's under 70. And it's like, now I have to seal something. It's like. Aren't we in the middle of the all seeing eye chamber where everything is seen? You're going to make me steal something right here. Yep. So. So, yeah, I, I like the Kinder Ace idea. I thought that was really cool. I'm curious yeah. to see how it works, if it actually, you know works out well in a game but i i thought that was neat and i do like the idea that whatever it is disappears in an hour so <laughs> right because because so, yeah. you, you've left it behind yeah and and so it's 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 very much the idea that kinder are so carefree that oh look i have a crowbar we pop open the door i set it down and just walk off yeah well you don't but can you imagine like if you roll a one and you get like 36 pieces of gold and you pay for that thing that you needed really bad and you walk off and the gold just disappears, right? You just, man, Oops. like, Sorry, uh, merchant. how much do I need? Okay. I'll roll five D six gold. Like, Oh, I have shit. it. Here you go. I didn't realize yeah. I had that. I had, sure where I it had came 15 from. gold this whole time. Yeah. Here, pay the toll. Okay, cool. And then the merchant later is counting down his till and realizes he's 15 gold short. Wait, what? Where'd this go? Yeah, it. Uh, I think it's a good I think it's a good design because I think it actually. Incentivizes the player not. To buy these things. It's like, why would I buy a crowbar or a grappling hook when I've got a 30% chance that I can just pull one out of my bag. Right. Um, so I think it, in, I've, I think it kind of incentivizes the player to just be like, yeah, I don't have any, like, I don't have any gold. I might have five D six gold. I don't know. And then when the situation comes up, it lets them always have a chance to like be a part of the situation. Even if it's just like, I'm going to roll in my bag and let's see. And like, oh, yeah, no, I do have a grappling hook. Like, you know, here you go. Like, here, take the grappling hook and, you know, get yourself up the tree. It's like, OK, I got to help out. And uh, if I didn't work out, then you can just step back like you tried. Yeah. Nolan, talk to us about the taunt ability that they have. Uh, it seems like it's a uh, it kind of remind me a little bit of the kobolds grovel type situation here. Uh Pulled a little bit of the familiarity with that, but uh, Tanya of the supernatural ability to home in on the creature's emotional raw nerves and craft a taunt that flushes the creature. So the Kinder's 
natural ability to be completely annoying. Uh, as a bonus action, you can unleash a barrage of insults on a creature within 60 feet of you that can hear and understand you. The target must su succeed on a wisdom saving throw against your charisma, uh, or it has disadvantage on attack rolls until the start of your next turn. You can use this number of bonus times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you get them back at a long rest. Which I think that's kind of been their thing as well. They're they're kind of grading on your nerves and have that ability to fluster somebody. So I, I thought they pulled out well. So that's that's it. That's everything there is for the Kinder. Um, obviously, that's you it. know. Yeah. So you get you get three ability score points to allocate, but besides that, it's just. I I think as a. Uh, I think in comparison to other races, other selections, it falls short in power. But like everything does in comparison to a kobold or a lizard man, right? Or or a half elf or a mountain dwarf. Like they're just better. So if you allow yourself to just like ignore that aspect of that you don't have to pick one that's better than all the others then there's a lot of fun to be had here. Like, are you, yeah. are you playing a fighter and your only bonus action is a second wind? Why not throw out the taunt? Screw it. This thing doesn't look like it's very smart. It'll probably fail its wisdom save, and now you've just saved everyone from having a tax advantage. Well, and it seems like, you know, thinking about the taunt, like, it's DC equal to 8 plus your proficiency plus your charisma modifier. If you, especially if you're stacking your three points, you that could be a pretty high saving throw that they have to make. Yeah, they could start off 13, 14, 15. Right. Yeah. You know, a goblin has minus one. Right. Which means they have to roll a 16 on their save if you have a high charisma because you're playing a warlock or something. Like, that's actually a really good ability. And you think yeah. about the things that hit the hardest usually are not very bright. Ogres. Yeah. Giants. Yeah. Depending on giant, but that is that's a great example. Yeah, depending on the giants, that's it. That's a great example, Nolan. Um, I I think it looks fun. Uh, I I'd play it. Yeah, yeah, I I do. I like that they added the Kinder Aces. Uh, I would not want to play and or more importantly, I would not want to DM a Kinder. Um, there's just nothing fun. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just an asshole who steals everything. We've had them in the party. Usually it's just your thief who's like, oh, I'm going to keep 10 gold for me and I only found two and, you know, that kind of stuff. So right. people have a hard time shutting that stuff off and be like, oh, I'm just playing my character. And it's like, no, you're kind of just being You're a kind dick. of a douche. Yeah, but you're playing a dick. Yeah. yeah. And so that was my only thing when I saw, I was like, I, I don't want to play in a group with a kinder. I just don't have that desire because it does, it's like, oh, well, I'm lawful. I'm chaotic evil. So I'm just going to slit this hobo's throat and everybody around you is like, this is really awkward now. It's like, you can't steal in front of the pallet and expect something not to happen, right? Now you're making that player be the bad guy for having to play his character. You're like, well, I'll just play my character. It's like, okay, well, I'm just going to play my character. Give me your hand. And now nobody's having fun. So this yeah. is a fun way to do it. Like, oh, I'm pretty sure I have one of those. And then you reach in your pocket to go for a crowbar and you pull out gold and you're like, oh, I meant to buy one. That's what it was. So All right. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, right. Like, oh, yeah. I guess. I'm pretty sure I have that in here. And you pull out and you're like, oh, oh, what did I do with that? And then you just kind of wander off, like looking confused, like, I know I had a crowbar. I must have lost it. And you're just totally distracted now. So, oh, I think that's awesome. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And I love that. Uh, and I think that is when you think about when I think about Tassloff in particular, uh, well, the only kinder that is in 
it written down. Well, never mind, because there's Kindermore. Um, yeah, that's exactly it. You know, I think I have one of those. Oh, it was a grappling hook. My bad. Sorry about that. Yeah, and everybody's like, where did you get a grappling hook? You're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I've always had this. This is mine. And just casually throws it over his shoulder. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Just so, leave it. And like, hey, do you want your grappling hook? Like, that's not my grappling hook. That's yours. Yeah. And then just walk away. Didn't you drop that right? earlier? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think there's a ton of fun that you yeah. can have. Have and fun it's gonna with take, it. Yeah. It's going to take the right person to play it. Um, if you're the kind of person who who definitely prefers like playing a paladin that's lawful or, or or whatever, you may not enjoy this. This might be the class that just drives you absolutely crazy. But I mean, when you think it about is, it is interesting that they are charisma based as far as their stuff goes, uh, just from that ability, which leads you kind of into uh, bard sorcerer. What really terrified me was a kinder warlock. Um, yeah. I, I mean, they would make a deal at the drop of a hat. You know what I mean? Like they wouldn't even know that they're on, you know, so there's a lot of opportunities there giving them that free reign to not yeah. be tied to a thief. You imagine if the, the kid is like a warlock, right? And they're trying to get a patron and they have the patron so confused as to what's going on that the patron's like, oh, fuck it. Fine. I agree. Or yeah, he just says, yeah, I'll do that. And then the patron likes, hey, I need you to do this. I'm like, I've never met you before. Like, <laughs> I gave you some of my power. Like, I've always been able to do this. How dare you? And walks yeah, off. Who the hell are you? How dare you, sir? Good day. Good day. I'd oh like, my gosh. I, I can see one that didn't know that they had made an agreement with like an archfey. And they're just like wandering around. And they're like, that's Jerry. Like, he just shows up every now and then. And Jerry's like... I am, I am the Knight of Winters from the Winter Court, and he's like, I don't know. He he shows up every now and then. I think uh, he just tries to pick my pockets or something. That, he's weird. He's my friend. He comes by and asks me for advice. Right? Yeah. See, I, yeah, I think there could be a lot of fun, it, but it's going to take the right person to play it, right? That person who's going to have that imagination to just go with it and have fun with it. Yeah, Kenders could be a ton of fun. Yeah, Doxy could have been a Kinder. Oh my God, Doxy is yes. a kinder. Doxy is a kinder. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to the sorcerer subclass, the lunar magic. Nolan, you are definitely our our sorcerer wizard kind of person. So tell us about this one. Yeah, I think that the the big thing that we've learned with Kryn is um, there is a lot of power from what the moon is doing. I mean, I think in playing it in the three point five edition. Um, the ebb and flow of power, depending on what lunar cycle is going on, was a big deal for a lot of the wizards. So seeing a, a sorcerer subclass based around it is fun um, from that standpoint. Uh, they For several features, they get Moonfire, which is Sacred Flame, doesn't count against your cantrips. Um, when you cast a spell, you can target one creature as a normal or two creatures within range, which is kind of neat to be a little... Um, amped up version of the spell i i wish they had more things like that like here's eldritch blast and it's pretty cool and then in the hands of a warlock it's agonizing blast and it does more well here's a class that takes sacred flame and cranks it up to 11 uh, we see a little bit out with like the evoker on evoke but i would like to see if you could make a uh a cantrip like a, a called thing like i want this spell to be my spell i want to be you know obi-wan kenobi of the basic form of you know uh divine toll um, yeah, uh, I agree. There's a even if even if it's not something that like you get to select uh, an arcane trickster's ability to cast mage hand and do stuff with it 
is such an interesting aspect of that class that why not give Eldritch Knights the same thing? They can cast um uh what's that like let them cast uh um true strike as a bonus action yeah right is it super power is it super powerful yeah but like it's a it's no more or less powerful than reckless attack like give yeah like let other classes do that kind of thing give them a signature spell and i think giving them this just letting it target two things within five feet like that's doubling the amount of damage that you can do with your cantrip and i think you know like you were saying you know if you can take it you can amp it up a little bit and make it part of it <laughs> if you made true strike you know a bonus action for them you know they're not going to use it forever because they're going to get more powerful yeah. stuff yeah they uh, have other stuff to do so part of this uh, lunar embodiment you also get a spell list with it uh um depending on uh, the moon cycle that you are, I guess, in line with, uh, full moon, new moon, and crescent moon. And they they do a pretty good job of kind of, um, you know, fairy fire, dissonant whispers, and sanctuary. So kind of that uh, light, dark protection kind of middle ground. Um, whenever you finish a long rest, you can choose what lunar phase manifests its power through your magic, uh, which I thought was another avenue to give sorcerers a little bit. They don't get a spell book but you can choose what you're in harmony with depending on what it is. Maybe you are in a uh, you know, a different area where, you know, the darkness and the shadows, you're fighting a bunch of stuff of that type of thing, and it's not necessarily going to work. Um, or you're going to be, you know, traveling for a few days and you need some stuff to help uh, protect you or give yourself phantom steed. I, I, I like the idea of opening up that of not as open-ended as I'm going to prepare these spells for the day, but kind of what I'm in tune with also. I don't know. It, giving sorcerers more freedom starts to pump them up in, in, in power level uh, by a significant amount. Uh, let's see here. Sixth level lunar phase influences your meta magic. Each lunar phase is associated with spells of the following schools full moon, abjuration, and conjuration, new moon, evocation, and necromancy, crescent moon, divination, transmutation. Whenever you use a meta magic spell from the lunar spells table uh, or a spell of the school of magic associated with your lunar uh, phase you're in, you can reduce the sorcery points by one to a minimum of zero. You can reduce the sorcery points spent for your metamagic a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus and regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. Another avenue of giving more power, making the worst thing about being a caster is running out of spells or knowing when to use them at the end of the day. This gives you an opportunity to really uh, maximize your punch throughout the day. Also, at 6th level, you gain control over the phases of your lunar magic. As a bonus action, you can spend one sorcery point to change your lunar phase for a different one. Um, Again, opening up that spell where you have that one thing that might save everybody. Um, Spend a sorcery point, change yourself to a full moon, cast Mass Cure Wound, and bring everybody back from the brink of the dead in the moment is just such a huge thing that you didn't have to prepare for. You know you've got it in your back pocket. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Uh, 14th level, lunar empowerment. The power of the lunar phases uh, saturates your being. Whenever you choose a lunar phase to affect your magic, you also gain the following benefits. Full moon, you shed bright light in a 10-foot radius. Uh, You and creatures of your choice have advantage on saving throws. While within the bright light you shed, so we get a little bit of a paladin-esque aura. 
Uh, New Moon, you have advantage on dexterity stealth checks. In addition, while you're in dim light or darkness, attacks have a disadvantage against you. And Crescent Moon, you have resistance to necrotic and radiant damage. So continue with the theme, light, dark, uh, and then balance. And then 18th level, we get Lunar Phenomenon. Your Lunar Phase Magic Burst is a bonus action. You can tap into special power of the Lunar Phase you are currently in. Alternatively, as part of your bonus action, you can change your Lunar Phase using your Waxing and Waning feature. You can immediately use the power of Lunar Phase you are entering. So full moon, you radiate intense moonlight for a moment. Each creature of your choice within 30 feet must succeed on a constitution saving throw or be blinded until the end of turn. In addition, one creature of your choice regains 3d8 hit points. New Moon, you momentarily emanate the oppressive gloom. Each creature of your choice within 30 feet must succeed on a dexterity saving throw or take 3d10 necrotic damage and have its speed reduced to zero until the end of your next turn. In addition, you become invisible until the end of your next turn and, or until you make an attack or cast a spell. And then Crescent Moon, you slip through light and darkness. You can magically teleport to an unoccupied space you can see within 60 feet. In addition, you gain resistance to all damage until the start of your next turn. Once you use a phase bonus, you can't do so again until you finish a long rest unless you spend five sorcery points to do it again I, i'm i'm super curious to see the power level of this here um the features itself of giving you the freedom of swapping between schools uh i think opening up that spell list um will kind of come back to your ability to uh remembering you have it i find that is a hard thing to do uh having those aces in your back pockets remembering you have those spells at your disposal for when you need them um, I don't know. It, it looks like a great subclass. I'm, I'm curious to see. I don't know if it, it, it ties into some of the newer ones coming back in power level, but in flavor and theme, I could see this thing just being fantastic. I think, I think in the right hands, it would end up being very, very strong. Uh, I think the big one is the level six feature that lets you reduce metamagic mm-hmm. by one, because that's a lot of things that you can reduce down to zero proficiency prolonged rest you know eventually being able to six times a day use metamagic for free is a big deal Um, Mm -hmm. especially that this is actually i think the closest to like an ur sorcerer where it's about the metamagic mostly yeah yeah Um, i wish there's a a few more things in there for that yeah i'm um, still waiting to be able to you know combine a couple or something like that as kind of an ultimate but I, I, yeah, th- I mean, it's a good spell list, too. I mean, there's there's enough in there to make you kind of swap around um, and, and make you think about it. Yeah, and, and Sorcerer's had some issues, um, but at least it's always still fun to play. Mm-hmm. And this is just more fun things to do, right? Why not uh, do careful spell on Fairy Fire? Now everyone succeeds on their saving throw automatically. Only you've got a 40 foot ring and only the enemies have to make their save against it. That's a lot better than having to be like, sorry, barbarian. Hope you make your deck save or all the enemies are going to have advantage on attack rolls against you. Like the lunar spells list kind of fills those gaps that sorcerers kind of needed filled. Yeah, it's it's not something I at third level I wasn't going to take moonbeam darkness or blindness and deafness. I was going to take fireball, but now I have options when fireball isn't going to cut it because there are yeah. days where a moonbeam against some werewolves is going to be a lot more effective to help out, or darkness mm-hmm. to get away from you know a beholder or you know what I mean like that kind of stuff. blindness and deafness. I mean to get away from a beholder. Um, yeah, that 
just, again, having the utility that comes from a wizard, all of a sudden you start creeping in power. And if I have the opportunity to have metamagic over uh, some of the disciplines of some of the wizard schools, I think I would take metamagic because, again, it gives you the ability to cast what you need, how you need it, when you need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, poor sorcerer. So we like it, yes or no? I do. I would play one right now. Yeah. I think uh, it's really, it, really fun. I think it's really interesting. They've um, been hammering out some good ones with the last uh, few uh, sorcerers. Um, I know they did the uh, apparent mind and it opened up the spell book and it came across as really powerful. Um, the clockwork soul, I think, is probably the most powerful class in the game. And I really want to play one um, just because of the stuff that it's able to do. But this one here, I'm curious to see. Uh, I would spend some time trying to figure out how I could bid max this thing just from a standpoint of I think there's probably something in here that I'm not thinking of at this time that probably is insanely broken. Um, it just feels like there's something there that you could really maneuver. And worst case scenario, you grab two levels of Warlock and you, you know, agonizing blast all day and you add six more rounds to it, you know. So. Cool. So then we have some backgrounds. Uh, we have specifically Knights of Salomnia, as well as uh, Mages of Mage of High Sorcery. Sorry, I don't know why I forgot that. Yeah, uh, you can't talk about Knights of Salomnia without talking about probably the two most famous, and that being Huma Dragonbane and, of course, Lord Soth. Lord Soth being the fallen Knight of Salomnia who became the Dread Lord in Ravenloft eventually. Um, yeah, I, I know personally, uh, what is it? Sturm Brightblade? That was the knight mm-hmm. in the right. Sturm um, and his son Storm, because yeah. why not? Because John Cates was playing that character. <laughs> right. Oh, Sturm died. I'm playing his son Storm. Yeah. Um, so I I was excited about this. I thought, okay, this is kind of neat. And and I think it adds some interesting background choices for you uh to give you that. Uh, path, so so to speak, to follow. I like the fact that it's not just fighters or paladins, because I think I know when I was growing up reading about these, my thought was the knight in shining armor, the, you know, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table and these people who were like on these holy crusades. And it always struck me as the Knights of Salamia being very much a paladin based order. What do you guys think? I think that was the intention, right? Uh, for those who haven't read um one of sturm is a sturm was a player character uh and one of his big things is that salomnia had like their oaths and they were very 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 particular and you had to fulfill them and sturm had kind of been kicked out because he actually followed his oaths and the knights had become so corrupt that they didn't do that yeah, and so I think, exactly. yeah, the, the whole intention was that, yeah, it's a society of paladins. Right. So it says you've trained to be a valorous warrior known as a knight of Salamnia. Strict rules guide your every action and you worked up hold them as you strive to defend the weak and oppose all forms of evil. Your honor is as important to you as your life. Uh, you get skill proficiencies of athletics and survival. You have one type of musical instrument as a tool proficiency in languages is one of your choice. You also gain the equipment of an insignia of rank, a deck of cards and a set of common clothes and a pouch containing 10 gold pieces. Uh, feature, we have Squire of Salamnia. You gain, uh-oh. There you go. Nice. Hey. <laughs> Leave it to you, Nolan, to have that laying around. We played that one. 
You have um, you gain the Squire of Salamnia feat presented later in this document. In addition, the Knights of Salamnia provide you with free, modest lodging and food at any one of their fortresses or encampments. Here's what I thought was interesting. Any class or subclass mm-hmm. that has martial prowess can be a Knight of Salamnia. So if you're a, what is it? Um, uh, I was trying to think the barbarian, uh, nature barbarian, right? Yeah. You could do it. Uh, sword card or sword college bards, sword card. Wow. Sword colleges bards could be Knights of Salamnia. So it's not just the idea that they're all paladins. Um, it's fighters and paladins make up the bulk of the knighthood forces, but you could do like a war domain priest. Like I could have totally seen uh, just the way I played it. Kildrak being a Knight of Salamnia. And it doesn't say that they have to be human either. Yeah. I, I, and, in the uh, original, you had to be from Salamnia. I think it was kind of like the. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you had to be human too. Uh, I mean, well, that's because Kender or halflings couldn't be paladins. Only humans could be paladins. There you go. Let's see. To become a candidate for knighthood, a man must be from Salamnia, must serve as a squire to a knight, must be presented by a knight in good standing, must face any challenge put forth by any knight. Dot, dot, dot. Exceptions have been made in the past. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Uh, So there's a table of personality traits. Um, that you know you roll on a d6 that you can use there's also a table of salomnia trinkets that you can use uh again it's a d6 table some of the stuff that you can find in the trinkets is like a flat silver disc you record your your heroics on uh a pendant featuring a crown a rose a sword and a combination of all three because of course those are the symbols of the knights of salomnia yeah those Uh, are the three different orders right uh of which lord soth was a knight of the rose And um, some of the traits include like uh, uh, the protection of innocent people comes first. All of the co- concerns come second. Uh, I wish my deeds to become the stuff of legends like Huma, uh, just like those of the knighthood's heroic founders. So there's all sorts of cool things that you can do as a knight of Salamnia. Then we get into the mage of high sorcery. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, uh, first, for some background in the world of Dragonlance to be a mage. You one had to go to the Society of High Magic, though. I think that's probably changed. And then there were three orders. There were the white robes who served good. There were the red robes who served neutrality. And there were the black robes who served evil. So I seem to remember. And it was um, there was not a choice in the matter. If you were a good person, you wore white robes like the magic demanded it. And then so if you eventually became evil, you had to wear black robes. Right, right. So Raceland started out as a red robe wizard, right? Yeah. And yep. eventually becomes black robe. Yep. And you don't have a choice. The moment yeah. Raceland becomes evil, he has to serve it. Yep. There, there's some weird religious stuff in Dragonlands, but we'll, we'll move on with that. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, yeah. And, and in this case. You know, it used to be, of course, in the original Dragonlance and no one can speak to us more. um, You had to be a mage. It wasn't like uh, any sort of caster can do this because now you can be a caster. You can be a warlock. You can be a bard. You can be a a wizard. You can be a sorcerer. And I think in the original Dragonlance, you had to be a wizard, right, Nolan? Yeah. And I I think they do a nice job of talking about that, too, in here, saying that they accept everything um, uh, and more so people that are affected by the moon. So, 
which you and, know, this and, year at least is like, I wonder if we'll see a warlock one as well. I don't know how you make a pact with the moon, but and 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 things change over time, but um, the author's original intent was that, yeah, I mean, there was like mage, cleric, and druid, I think, in second edition. That sounds right. Like no, cleric bards could cast spells too, and, and bards, yeah, like those three. They but didn't, nobody played a bard then. Nobody, no did. one played a they bard then. Um, those three didn't count. Like those are those are different things. Mage was its class, and if you wanted to be one in Dragonlance, you had to have gone to the tower. Yeah. It does say mage. There's a little section here. Mages of Dragonlance in the past presentations of Dragonlance settings, several of the Dungeons and Dragons modern spellcasting classes did not exist to accommodate yeah. these classes. The groups known as the Wizards of High Sorcery has evolved into the Mages of High Sorcery. The group's distinct order and signature robes remain, but the organization now accepts members from a broad range of spellcasting traditions. Members who find their magic influenced by the phases of Kryn's Moon uh, also remain part of the group. Uh, largely represented by sorcerers with the lunar magic subclass. And obviously uh, presented in this document. In 3.5, it was a prestigious class. Oh, okay. That's how they did that. So once you had the prerequisites, you could go take the tests. And if you took the tests and survived, then you could take up to 10 levels, I believe it was, of a high sorcerer. Gotcha. And that's when you would get your robes and all that. So it does say, i just read this real quick. Go ahead, Zach. I there is a weird thing where the background doesn't have prerequisites. From what I've read, it's suggested that you be, you know, a spellcaster. But it doesn't say that you can't be a barbarian. Yeah, which were the knights one did, right? I th- I think so. It's like I think it kind of says that any martial any character with martial abilities Right. So I think maybe that I think maybe they might add that. Um, I think uh, the intent is obvious. I and mean, when we get to the feats, it becomes very clear. But it, it doesn't say that you can't be a muscle wizard. So it says in the world of Kryn, many refers to the mages of high sorcery as the wizards of high sorcery. The organization accepts more than wizards, though, with bards, sorcerers, warlocks and other spellcasters included among their ra- ranks. So arcane trickster rogue. Yeah. Yeah, no one, no one says I can't do it. Interesting. Yeah, it does not say only these classes. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't lock you into anything. And I think so, it's one of those things too. We see it a lot, right? Where it's like the thief steals a spell book and becomes, you know, something more. Uh, so I think those are opportunities there too to to put it into your background. You're like, it, what? I was like, it's okay. It'll play itself out. So building a mage of high sorcery character, mages of high sorcery are typically bards, wizards, or warlocks. It might have any subclass spellcasters who gain their magic through devotion or who possess uh, innate magic are less likely to be welcomed among traditional mages. Nevertheless, the mages of high sorcery are shrewd and they rarely let unique opportunities or individuals pass them by. Even members of martial classes who train in magic might find a rare place among the group's three orders. So there you go. That but, uh, seems honestly, I mean, it's like there's probably not much better to go fight, you know, a wizard than maybe a little bit of, you know, sneak attack on your wizard, right? So, yeah, oh gosh. Who's to say that a zealot barbarian's abilities aren't 
not like divine or some kind of faith based, but just a different form of magic, right? Or an ancestral guardian. It's like, just, yeah, like all these other wizards are like, oh, okay, I, I cast fireball, but it's like, no, they've forgotten that you can use magic to enhance your own body all the time. You know, like, right. look, right, all right, yeah, you want to see some magic? Summon up a bunch of uh, spirits, right? Like, there's, I think there's some wiggle room here. There's some fun ideas to play against yeah. type. And again, uh, if it helps you tell the story. Yeah. Make it happen. Yeah, just talk to your DM. In fact, I'm, I want to do that. If we played in Dragonlands, I would, I would do that. Ancestral barbarian from the Mage Order. And I think that you know, I think that's important to remember for all players. Don't just show up at the table thinking that your DM is going to be okay with something that you're doing that's out of the ordinary. That's not, you know, necessarily. It's more the spirit of the rules than it is the rules. Converse with your DM first. Let's just throw that out there. Converse with them first. They're probably going to be okay with it because they want you to have fun unless they feel like it's absolutely going to break the game. But make sure they know what's going on. So then we get into a lot of feats. And there's there's only a couple of pages left of this document. And do we really want to dive into all the feats here? Or do we have a couple that you guys saw that you thought were really neat? Well, the no, feats are very specific, right? So yeah. They're, they're very specific. They are based around the the idea that uh, you have some of these backgrounds, you've done some of these things. Uh, and and for anyone who's not looking at the document, when you take one of these backgrounds, you get like the first level of feats right at the start. And then when you hit fourth level, or I guess if you've hit eighth level, if your DM let you take one of the initiate feats at fourth, you can take the second level of feat. And so this is an interesting thing where uh, Wizards is playing with something here that they haven't published before, which is like a feat tree that they used to do in like 3.5 and 4th edition, where you take power attack and then you take like greater power attack. In this one, you take initiative high sorcery and then you take adept of the black robes. So it's they haven't done like something like this before. Feat subclasses, right? So. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's like a it's a it's like a subclass like on top of yours. Which I think feats are really hard to get around. And the awkward thing is feats are also optional on a lot of tables. So I thought that was kind of an interesting take. Um, mm -hmm. The I, it just kind of comes back to I wish there was maybe more feats or different kinds of feats, right? Like maybe every four levels you could take a combat feat. And then like every six levels, you've got like a stat boost, you know, something like that where you didn't feel like you had to pick and choose. Because if you rolled terribly, you can't touch any of these because you're just trying to get your constitution up to not be one shot. Um, but if you rolled really well, uh, you know, these... Why not take Lucky? They get they get good flavor in them, but... Some of these are really cool. Yeah, it's... um. Yeah, the the feet layout in 5th edition has been pretty strange. Leaving them optional, I think, uh, takes the sting out of it. But otherwise, this is an interesting little take of like, yeah, you get a feat at first level because of your background. And then at fourth level, you can take like the improved version of that feat. Because they used to do this all the time. But I don't know if in 5th edition, just due to its structure, that it's going to work as well. I would like to see it go another step further too. So say you are a, a knight um, 
and you become a squire. So you get the prerequisite, you become a squire, you learn martial training, you become a defensive writer, and you get encouraging rally. Through your axe and all the other stuff that comes with it, you might level up to a knight of the crown, sword, or rose. And at fourth level, and you have the squire feet, now you can further hone in on what your you're good at. I became a knight of the sword. I now have a disciplined spirit. I gain proficiency in intelligent wisdom or charisma saving throw and willpower. Immediately after you or a creature you can see within 30 feet fails an intelligence wisdom or saving throw, you can expend a hit die. The saving throw increases by amount equal to a roll of that hit die, potentially turning a failure into a success. Once you turn a failed saving throw into a successful one, you can't do this again until you finish a long rest. So if you fail, you get to do it again. If you succeed, you try it's again. spent. But that that means more of now our feats aren't just, ooh, I hit harder. Now it's I've, I I do something because I've leveled up as a knight. Um, and we see that, you know, with the, the wizard side of things as well, or the caster side, you know, your initiate. And now it's finally time for you to get your robe. Uh, where in the past, again, that was something that kind of, you know, was part of a subclass um, or a, a prestigious class. Now they've tied it into a feat. Um, I would like to see a next one just because I know that there was, you know, you could be a knight, um, but just into the lore of, you know, officer ranks, you know, maybe you become a high warrior and it's a 12th level thing and all of a sudden you start getting more and more um, that isn't tied to. Maybe you are a paladin and you're getting all these things. And now all of a sudden, you know, my paladin side is getting stronger. My rank in the order is getting stronger. And you're leveling up almost these two classes side by side. But I like them. I think it's cool. Again, flavor um, and flavor that comes with the power is really nice. Um, yeah. Because a lot of times otherwise, you know, I think uh, I think actor is a fantastic feat. Just nobody touches it. The ability to lead rips uh, from uh, uh, insane distance, I think, would come up in so many campaigns. But sometimes you just can't afford to take it because the guy. Why would I do that when I can just take lucky? Guy took lucky. This guy took sharpshooter. This person took, uh, you know, a crossbow expert and I'm falling behind and, you know, we're in the middle of a war. Mm -hmm. Well, being able to read lips isn't really super handy right now, you know, so getting a little bit of crunch, increasing your strength and gaining something with it, I think is a great sign for the future too. And hopefully they'll revisit that stuff with, uh, with a rework. Uh, I like the idea too, of having these things that are one and done be, if you fail, it didn't hurt. You didn't actually do anything. You tried yeah. and you didn't connect to somebody you tried and you connected to somebody and it rallied. And in that moment, now we can't do it again. Um, yeah. there's a lot of times like, well, I'm going to try this class ability and it just didn't work. And like, well, this is a dumb class ability. Yeah. That was yeah. Dumb. Yeah. One. Well, yeah. One shot abilities that you, that are pass fail that you can't try again is not good design because it doesn't incentivize people to use it. Right. Or you save it for the moment when it needs to be done. And then it doesn't work. And it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well. I'm just not going to do that again because then it has. Oh, great. I used up my reaction when I should have just yep. waited. Like that's a counter spell. I don't get now because I tried to save someone. Yeah. It's this, this random offshoot thing that I thought might be in. No. Yeah. And it turns out it doesn't even work. Yeah. Just should have hung on to it. Yep. So anyway, I like them. I like, I like flavor feats. Um, I like feats tied to a background. I think that's pretty fun. Um, 
it's cool. I'm excited to see what the book looks like. I'm hoping they yeah. do more. I like that they added those there. For me, I think some of the biggest things that ever get looked in your uh, knight armies and stuff like that are, are again, me being a ranger is a ranger. Um, for me, I always go back to the Dunedine as being a, a, a very interesting paladin-esque order. And they're self-sufficient people that protect people, and they don't look like that. They, they're they not bolsters or braggots. They're barely seen. And I like, for me, the the great hero or the one that you didn't even know that did anything. So I'm excited. I would play a ranger knight um, and just be, the, you know, again, super grungy, super dirty, you know, does his thing, shows up, and everybody's like, oh, what do you get out of here, you ruffian? And, like, you know, the grandmaster looks at him, and it's like, it's good to see you, High Warrior. And everybody's like, oh, shit, I just messed up. You know, like, there's something fun about that thing of, like, I, you know, his purity is on the inside. It's not on the polished armor, so. Right. So I, there you have it. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I think it's time to wrap up. So I think uh, I'd just like to really touch really quickly on why this is exciting. Um, Wizard of the Coast has allowed all of their book properties basically have run fallow like they're just not using them there's been no forgotten realms books there's been no greyhawk books no nothing um i guess they're doing a movie but we'll see how that turns out and the thing is is that over the last maybe two years ago time is a flat circle i don't know when anything happened anymore um, the original creators of the Dragonlance setting licensed the property to write new books. And they didn't have, they licensed it. It wasn't with Wizards' involvement. But the thing is that it's Wizards' property. And so if they can, if they want to, they can pull that license at any time. And for reasons that have not been explained, Wizards did that. It's why um, Trace and Hickman are currently doing a Kickstarter for their own kind of setting uh because they aren't they can't write dragonlance books anymore well there was a lawsuit with them against there was a whole yeah there's a whole lawsuit involved so it's pretty exciting to see this because it's it's kind of giving us some hope that maybe they will return to this setting it'd be funny if they start putting out uas and then didn't do that but That'd for those cool. of us who who liked the world, who liked being a part of it, who liked reading, this is pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, Dragonlance was my introduction. I mean, truly was my introduction into the world of Dungeons and Dragons. So I'm, I'm super excited to see Dragonlance come back. Uh, I hope that that's what this is foreshadowing. It just seems like it is. I hope we get kind of like the Eberron uh, book. Um, and then I also hope it gets a Adventure League. I think that would yeah. be a lot of fun to see uh, a new tale. Um, I know the old 3.5 when you actually play through the story and like it, it very early starts with like nobody can be a cleric or you can have one, but there is no divine magic and it's going to stink for him for about three levels. And it's very adamant if you're playing that story that it just doesn't exist yet and your characters are the ones. And so you get to play through the thing. Well, I'd like to see the next generation. I'd like to see a story of life after and or before. I don't know. I mean see the 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 calamity that caused the destruction but anyway yeah i i hope they do more than just here's your book on to the next i agree one. i agree well cool i will have a link to the ua in the show notes uh fellas do you have anything else before we wrap up i don't it's really exciting it is very exciting. I, 
I hope that they actually do something with Kryn because it's an interesting, unique setting designed for adventure. Yep. And then I hope they do something with Dark Sun. Getting ahead of myself. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. That is going to be our show for this week. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye, everyone.